Hey, everybody. Welcome to You Were Born for This Podcast with Father John Ricardo Mary Guilfoy. We're a couple of missionaries at Acts 29. This is the podcast where we talk about the Word of God and how it brings transformation and renewal to our lives personally and then ripples out, hopefully, everywhere. Mary, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. John, isn't it's a this green glorious? Christmas here in Michigan. It's 50 <laughs> degrees. This is unbelievable. Yeah, it's been very, very mild. Very mild. Yeah, what what a tremendous uh, time of year. I, I don't know about you, I have just been so uh, incredibly overwhelmed by God's uh, like persistent nagging at me to just be still mm-hmm. in these days. And so the days leading into Christmas, especially the final couple of days that we had in the office, we always begin our day with a, a half hour of adoration in front of the Blessed Sacrament as a team and then Mass right afterwards and just increasingly closing everything and just listening and it's been so fruitful i'm so grateful to god for that and want to want to hold on to it for as long as i can well to that point father johnny i i I think we've all here in acts 29 had a similar experience in prayer where we're just trying to like um create a space in our hearts where that interior watchfulness and uh my sense from the lord is this is something he wants us to maintain um ongoingly and that enables us to hear him and then to act accordingly. And that has everything to do with what we've been talking about over the last number of weeks and what we're going to talk about today. So what's our topic today? Our topic today is a city on a hill. City on a hill. All right, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Father, we yeah. just thank you for these extraordinary days that we're in. We thank you for the fact that we get eight days to celebrate uh, the ex- incredible unspeakable reality that out of love for us, your son has become flesh. So as to forever heal our distorted and warped understanding of who you are, to go to battle for us against the enemy, against sin and death and Satan, to show us who we are to you, your beloved sons and daughters, to make us new, make us whole, put us back together. Father, we pray for ourselves, for all of our brothers and sisters who are listening, for their families, all their loved ones, that this octave would be one of uh, just grace upon grace, healing, transformation, renewal, hope, encouragement in the midst of everything that's happening in the world. We ask your anointing now to be upon us, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father John, do you want to share with our friends um, a little bit more about um, why it is we're trying to get the rescue project translated into as yeah, many uh, languages. Per- perfect little tee up. Here we are. You know the um, the angels announced to the to the shepherds that uh, a savior has been born, and this savior is not just for one particular race; he's for everybody. He's for the human race. And so, uh, as we've mentioned a couple of times, the rescue project is available now in English, and it's also dubbed in Spanish. And we're about to dub it into French. We're, we're we put out a challenge to people. We got a matching gift, uh, which was really generous of up to fifty five thousand dollars. And we're about halfway there towards the match. So we're we're close to being able to translate it into French. It's actually not cheap to do this because we have to translate it, dub it, and then we translate the documents as well. And so we want to be able to do that. Um, so thanks to all the people who've made this possible. We're hoping to translate it into, I think if we can get it into French, we will be able to reach 2 billion people in the world, is which is just glorious? amazing. So long way of saying, um, if the Lord's moving you to, to be generous, it would be really helpful for us to continue to do what we can to get this into uh, into other languages. Maybe just something really quick too. 
I'm so attentive to this as a pastor and a priest. I, I never want to appear tone deaf. So last week, a, a rather significant document came out from the Vatican uh, with regards to uh, blessings. And I just want to say, we're, we're going to tackle that uh, probably maybe next week, maybe in the week after that, who knows, but we're, we're praying about that. In the meantime, um, I want to send people to our website. And uh, if you go to acts29.org and then hit the media tab and then click on uh, the tab that says thoughts from the trailer, you'll get the last article there that we wrote, which is about that and a way, a way to begin to think about some things. Uh, but I just don't want people to think that we're uh, going to dodge that. We're not going to dodge it. I want to speak into it. Thanks for all of that, Father John. So take us away. Let's uh, let's listen to the Word of God and let it just permeate us. So this is the first reading that we're going to hear on the Feast of the Holy Family, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. And it comes from Sirach chapter 3, verses 2 through 6, and then verses 12 through 14. God sets a father in honor over his children, a mother's authority he confirms over her sons. Whoever honest, honors his father atones for sins, And preserves himself from them. When he prays, he is heard. He stores up riches who reveres his mother. Whoever honors his father is gladdened by children. And when he prays, is heard. Whoever reveres his father will live a long life. He who obeys his father brings comfort to his mother. My son, take care of your father when he is old. Grieve him not as long as he lives. Even if his mind fail, be considerate of him. Revile him not all the days of his life. Kindness to a father will not be forgotten. Firmly planted against the debt of your sins, a house raised in justice to you. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Let let me just make a couple of uh, quick comments. So your your parents are... are, uh, with the Lord now are on their way to the Lord and my parents are with the Lord or on their way to the Lord. And so this reading has a different sense for me because I can't, I can't do the things that are in this reading. You can't do the things that are in this reading. That said, these are some unbelievable promises that God makes with regards to how we treat our parents. So if your parents are still living, um, I can't encourage you enough to go back and just read the Word of God and to let it both encourage and convict us as to what it is that he might be asking us to do, especially in these days. But uh, we are in the middle of wrapping up a series, if you're uh, brand new to us, uh, on healing, which is inspired by Father Lee Brokaw, who's a priest down in Peoria, Illinois, and what he's doing in his parishes. And so we've been looking over the last couple of weeks on healing in general, the Lord's desire to bring healing, healing in ourselves as individuals, healing in marriages. Last week, we talked about healing in families. What we want to do this week is springboard off of this reading uh, to talk about healing in parishes, because that's supposed to be the ripple effect, right? I mean, we were talking about this just before we hit record. It's, it's almost like a series of concentric circles, right? If the Lord heals me personally, then that's supposed to help heal my marriage if I'm married, and that's supposed to help heal the family if we have a family, and that's supposed to ripple out into our parishes, right? That's exactly right, Father John. And, and I'm just imagining like a parish, and maybe this is Father Lee's parish, because in our conversations with him, 
he's talking about how fruitful this has been for his parish family. And if we understand uh, what our mission is in a parish, this is exactly what we want to do. Because those of us who are sitting in the pews, if I'm healed and I'm really pressing into healing for my marriage and my family, then all of a sudden I'm in a particular way uniquely poised to be set out on mission. Mm -hmm. And the parish becomes a place, that city on a hill. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, that's our topic for today. It becomes a place of refuge and hope and healing and proclamation and mission. And it looks very attractive because the body of Christ that's there under that roof is eager to meet the people who we're supposed to go out and get and bring them into us. But the reality is our parishes don't often look like that. Yeah. So let's let's try to break that open. Let's contrast the ideal versus the tragic real, at least in many places. But maybe let's back up quickly and just talk about the that expression city on a hill. So Jesus in Matthew five, he talks about the disciples. He uses a couple of images. He uses salt, he uses a you know, a lamp, and then he uses a city on a hill, and he says, A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So if if you've ever been to especially to Italy or to parts of France or to Spain or to parts of the Middle East, it's common to see these you know, medieval and ancient cities that are built elevated way up on a hillside. So you build a, hit, a, a city on a hill so that you can protect it, right? You can see the enemy coming from far away and whatnot. But you don't light up a city to protect it. That would actually be counterintuitive you li- or counterproductive. You light up a city so that the people who are down below in the valley, who are lost, hungry, uh, sick, wounded, discouraged, uh, they can look up and they can see the light and they can go, oh, there's help there. That's right. That's what the parish is supposed to be. So here we are, we're talking about healing. One of the things that comes to mind is many of us have a, a massive need for healing with regards to what the parish is even supposed to be. Because we think of parishes, I think, oftentimes as it's almost like a little club. It's something for me, you know? And we we lose sight of the fact that it's actually a missionary outpost. That's right. You know, we, um, I'm thinking of a survey that was done, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, where they, they surveyed a large number of pastors and a large number of parishioners. And the there was a question in there that simply uh, asked, um, why does the parish exist or why does the church exist? And 90% of the pastors says that the church exists for the sake of evangelization. And 90% of the people said the church exists to meet my needs. Talk about a massive disconnect, Father John. Uh-oh. Yeah. And, and, but that's, I'm, so this can be really challenging because I don't, I don't want to be harsh in any way. But, you know, I was a pastor. You worked in parish ministry. I was a member of a parish when I was younger. I'm afraid that's how I I operated oftentimes when I was a member of a parish. And it was certainly the experience, not of all the people by any means, but of many people. We, we, we tend to operate within the parish as consumers oftentimes. Not always, but oftentimes. Right. I would agree with that. And so to your point, I mean, I've been Catholic my entire life. And I don't think, I'll be really honest, Father John, I don't think it was until I read um, Unleash the Gospel, mm. the letter uh, that came out of the Synod. And what what year was that? 2016, 2016 yeah, by Archbishop Vigneron. And it, it kind of helped 
recast a vision in my mind relative to like someone who's sitting in the pews. Am I a bystander? Mm. Like I'd never heard that word until I believe that's in that document. I thought, oh my gosh, I had that same mentality too. Like I'm here to receive something. I'm here to get something. But but we are, but in order to do what? And so... Yeah. So, that's, so let's, that, that's, no, no, that's the reality. All I'm yeah. saying is I'm not apart from that. I'm a part of that yeah. mindset. No, guilty is charged, all of us, I think. So let's talk a, maybe a, a little bit about what the ideal parish, or, or maybe just simply like, what's the parish supposed to be? Not the ideal parish. What's the parish supposed to be? And you, we can't give an exhaustive list. And th- this is, you know, we're always trying to to wrap our hands around big concepts and at least to throw out some things for us to think about. So again, not exhaustive, but a few different ideas, maybe five in particular that can help us understand, oh, okay, well, maybe that's that's not necessarily how I had been thinking about it. So one thing that a parish is supposed to be is a place where we gather as disciples and as God's family. Bit of a problem right away because I don't think I don't think that word disciples is really significantly understood oftentimes. We may be making a new series on discipleship. Who knows? We're uh, going to go down to Indiana and do a mission on discipleship sometime in February. We're looking forward to that. But discipleship is a loaded word with a lot of facets to it. And if you ask someone to define what it means to be a disciple, you'll come up with a thousand different answers. It's not a word that rolls off our tongue, I think, in a Catholic context. So not only that, you know, to identify yourselves as disciples of Jesus, what does that look like? And then also to understand that as part of God's family, that's another word in there, I think, family that can be problematic. We'll go back to that. But to, to even understand and appreciate that the word disciple is also a verb, yeah, that's right. It means we're supposed to be doing something. I don't know that necessarily we have clarity on what it yeah. is we're supposed to be doing. I'm, I'm thinking immediately of the, the passage in Mark 8. I think it's Mark 8. Maybe it's Mark 9. I think it's Mark 8. Um, where Jesus says, if anyone would come after me. That's a big if. In other words, you, you don't have to. You, I'm thinking of Pope Benedict when he said at one point, you cannot become a Christian by birth you cannot become a Christian even by baptism alone. The only way you can become a Christian is by choice. You have to make a decision. decision. Right. So Jesus is asking us to make a decision. And then what he says is, he lists three things. Um, lay down your life, uh, deny or deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. When he says deny yourself, that is a loaded expression. It doesn't mean you're going to have to do some penance every once in a while. It's um, Mary Healy in her commentary on the Gospel of Mark does a fantastic job translating this. And she talks about it as if it is almost like a real estate transaction word. It has to do with picture a deed, right? So you guys just sold your house, right? Mm -hmm. So you sold over the deed of your house, right? You you, you, You relinquished control of it. That's what Jesus is saying. If anyone would come after me, if you want to be mine, if you want to follow me, here's what I need you to do. You need to take the deed that says, the ownership of my life belongs to me, John, and you have to cross that out. And you have to say, from this day forward, and then of course I'm going to have to do this every day and every hour throughout the day, the ownership of my life belongs to Jesus. 
Whoa, that's a radical thing to do, right? That's a massive mind shift. And I'm just thinking about, you were talking about the house and the deed as we sold one house and bought another one. What a cost. What a mighty cost of discipleship. Yeah. To your point, we're not ushered into this. This isn't something that's just bestowed upon us. It's a decision. And to your point, it's a decision we have to make every single day. Um, last week, Father John in our chapel, I was just, um, my mind was just um, very much fixed on the crucifix. Mm. I said, Lord, I just don't understand what it is I see before me. I just cannot get my head around this self-gift, mm. this self-donation. And then I imagined in my prayer, what would my life look like if I laid down my life, mm. like Jesus laid down my life and actually envisioned myself like on a cross, like what would my life crucified look like? And it will look so much different. Mm then it does. But that's what he's inviting us to model our lives after. Yeah, and I appreciate you saying that because the last thing I want people to think of is that this call to discipleship is is somehow, um, that means that everybody who belongs in the parish is, uh, has somehow got it all together. Uh, we don't have it all together. I mean, I'm uh, I always, being a pastor, I mean, you're hearing confessions of people who are far holier than you are. But what it does mean is we are willing to make the decision every day to at least struggle to say, Lord, I want to give everything to you. So that's just the first thing of what the parish is supposed to be. It's a place where disciples gather, where God's family gathers. We talk a lot about, or we use language a lot like brothers and sisters. We don't, we don't often treat each other like brothers and sisters, or maybe we do, depending upon where the family we came from. Let's just keep going. A second thing that a parish is supposed to be. It's a place where there's an encounter with God in his word and in the sacraments, right? So I'm going to ask you to break open. What does that word encounter actually mean? Because we're talking about what I think you're talking about, Father John, is something more than just hearing yeah. something. What yeah. does it mean to actually encounter the Lord Jesus in scriptures and in the sacraments? Yeah, to encounter the whole triune God, right? So it means to meet right. him. I mean, that's the simplest way I can think of it. It means to meet him, regardless of whether or not you have any feelings. I think sometimes people often equate an encounter with an emotional experience. And I remember uh, I remember listening to a young professor at Notre Dame. He was giving a talk to a bunch of people, and he was sharing about how often younger people, but not just younger people, can mistakenly equate encounter with emotional high. And he's like, the encounter is the encounter. I thought that was a great expression, you know? Just hearing the word of God is to meet the Lord and to go to the sacraments, to go to confession, to go to the Eucharist. Um, those are real encounters, whether or not I get overwhelmed emotionally or not. I mean, thanks be to God that it doesn't happen all the time or, or we would never leave the church, right? So it doesn't matter if, I, if it's dry or whatnot, although we certainly want to ask the Lord to help us come to a deeper understanding of it. But again, the parish is where we, as disciples and as brothers and sisters, we hear the Lord speak to us. Our Father speaks to us in his word, and he nourishes us with that which is most precious to him, his son, in the Eucharist. So that's just a second thing. Here's a third thing that, that the parish is called to be. Uh, it, it's, it's called to be a place where we encourage, that is, to give heart, we support 
and we love one another. Now, I don't know about you. I'm sorry. I hear those words, and, and they can almost sound like blah, blah, blah. But I don't think that's the reality in a lot of places where we encourage each other, we build each other up, we support each other, and we genuinely love each other. We don't talk about love. We actually lay down our lives for each other. I'm thinking about um, how many times we hear in the New Testament um, those one another Mm. statements. There's 40 plus times in the scriptures where we hear encourage one another, love one another, exhort one another, bear with one another. And that's possible to the degree that we've been configured to Jesus yeah. and that we're walking that, 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 that life of discipleship. And um, again, would that our parishes be places where we can experience that yeah. would be extraordinary because that's what we take out into the world then. It becomes a way of life. Yeah, yep. And then, so that's going to lead right into the next one. It's going to, a parish is supposed to be a place where we are equipped and mobilized for mission. So many people have become familiar over the last number of years with the passage in Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul talks about how um, God raises up apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And we're constantly talking about this when we're out doing uh, the work that we're doing. In, in in, In one application of that, Uh, passage, what it means is the pastor's role and, and those who are collaborating with him, you know, in ministry, their task is not to do all the work. Their task is to equip the saints who are the people in the pews to do the work, (laughs) right? Because the work is the work of evangelization and recreation of the world, and the people in the pews are the people who are out there in the world, right? That's right. And if and if we have a mission, that means we are missionaries. Yeah, and that we're right. being sent out. Ita misa est. Right after we have been equipped, we're supposed to go out as missionaries into mission territory, which, by the way, isn't that much far removed from just outside our. Our church doors. Yeah, what was the sign walls. we had in our parking lot that we you, stole from someplace? You are now entering mission territory. Yeah. And it was so critical for us to actually put that up as a sign that people who were leaving the parking lot could see. It's just this reminder, oh, yes, I have a mission, yep. and I'm a missionary yep. I'm called to go out into this world, to your point, which God so loves, yeah. and to bring transformation. To be both a to- model of and an agent of rescue. That's right. Yeah. So those, those are some of the things that a parish is called to be. Now, we, we've talked about the painful reality. I, I don't want to belabor it. I, I would just invite us to ask ourselves uh, these questions. I mean, are we, is our parish really any different than the world? I mean, really? Is it any different? I, I think if we were, if we were genuinely different, people would be lining up, especially young people would be lining up to come in and to see. People are supposed to walk into our parishes who who do not believe in God, and they're supposed to look at who's there and kind of do something like, wow, like these people really get it. They love, they really they have do nothing want, in love common. one another. <laughs> like they have nothing in common. It's like every demographic, every ethnicity. Some people are poor. Some people are rich. Some people drove in on, on a bike. Some people drove in on a BMW. 
the only thing they've got in common is the man on the cross. And they know they owe everything to him and they're trying to give their lives to him. And as a result, they're actually laying down their lives for each other because I can't say that I love the God I can't see if I don't love the person that I can't see in front of me. And if that happened, I mean, if there was real unity, if there was real encouragement, if there was real love, if there was real honor, Again, I don't, I don't think we would be able to contain the crowds, right? You know, and I'm thinking about how dark it is right now yeah. um, in the world. Um, there's going to come a point, in fact, I think the point's already here, that people are looking for light. Would it be that, that all of our parishes would be a place of refuge, a city lit, brightly lit, mm-hmm on a hill where, where people who have finally come to the place where they recognize what I have, what, how I've been living my life or the trust that I've been putting in a whole set of things, you know, uh, stumbling blocks um, to coming into that relationship with the Lord. When I realize like all of those things are not slaking my thirst, but maybe that place on the corner is a place for me. And, you know, you had said, you know, you, you know, we talked about Ephesians 4, you know, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Well, of course, that's those of us sitting in the pews, you know, we are the saints. But back to your point about discipleship, Father John, like none of us are, have arrived yet. Our parish, as I remember hearing this a set of years ago, just to get this fixed in our minds, someone had once said that our, 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 um, our parish is the church is not a museum of saints. It's mm. a hospital mm-hmm. for sinners. Yeah. You don't have to wait till you have it all together to come. Right. Jesus didn't wait for us to try to get right. it all together before he came. Right. Um, we have a desperate need, and so everyone is welcome. Yeah, and I think the big thing to just continue to nuance with, the, I love that statement, the big thing to make the nuance uh, with with regards to that for us is um, there's a huge difference between somebody who is stumbling and falling and quick to repent yes. and somebody who's defiant right. right right so that's that that's important I think to say like I'm on my face repeatedly both in front of the Lord to repent and because I've stumbled <laughs> like I am so much a work in progress but it's it's one thing to struggle and to fall, and to beg the Lord to forgive. It's another thing to be obstinate and defiant to the Lord and to his word and say, no, I reject that. And so when we talk about a hospital um, for sinners, that's important to understand, I think, as opposed to a museum for saints who finally— you know, mastered everything. That ain't going to happen until I get out of purgatory, which is probably And that goes like back to millennia. what our parishers are supposed to be. Right. The word of God, the scriptures are supposed to change us. Yeah. The sacraments are healing. They're designed to change us. Yeah. And at the end of the day, no matter how many times we fall on that road, it is by God's grace that he picks us back up again and puts us back on the road, right the Lord loves us too much. He loves us as we are. He loves us too much to leave us the way yeah, we are. That's right. right. That's right. So maybe let's maybe just offer a couple of practical things to think about. Sirach is such a spectacular reading. And as I was praying with it uh, over the past number of days, and especially thinking about what we're talking about in, in a parish context, th- these were the words that jumped out at me. Honor, 
revere, pray for, be considerate, and kindness. And I kept thinking, okay, so maybe, maybe that's the task in, in this, you know. Practical takeaway. Yeah, yeah. In, the, in the beginning of this new year that's about mm-hmm. to start. Like, think about those words and strive to do those words as a parish, to honor each other. Honor means to, in a particular way, to speak encouragingly to others, right? To build up, to use the gift of speech to edify. Unfortunately, most people don't hear honoring. We, we hear negative humor. Uh, that's, that's quote unquote, our way of honoring. Uh, negative humor is not honoring. Um, Instead, our parishes are often filled with detraction, filled with gossip, filled with all sorts of negative speech. How about we do everything we can to ask the Lord just to zip our lips? I'm thinking of St. Philip Neri, who a woman went to confession to him one time. This is in the 16th century in Rome, and confessed the sin of gossip. And so he said to her, okay, so here's your penance. I want you to go into the market in the center of the city. I want you to buy a live chicken. And I want you to walk from the center to one of the city gates. And as you're walking, I want you to pluck the feathers off the chicken. And then when you get to the gate, I want you to turn around and to walk back and to pick up all of the feathers that you dropped, which would be over the course of several several miles. And the woman looked at him and said, Father, I'll never be able to do that. And he said, exactly. And you're never going to be able to take back what you said. I mean, sins of speech are massive. And goodness knows, you know, like... uh, the Lord's continually trying to tell me to be careful how I talk, and I have sinned with my mouth all throughout my life. But we're going to answer for every careless word, Jesus tells us. So work on honoring each other. Work on revering one another, having respect for each other. huh? Um, how about we really pray for the people in the parish that we don't get along with and the people that we do get along with, you know, uh, to be considerate. And, and if nothing else, just be kind, Right? And that's not e- and that's not easy. There was a Stephen. I had a had a little framed thing in our house a set of years ago, and it says, "If you can be anything in this world, choose to be kind." And it was just a reminder to us to be kind. That makes a huge difference. We're not always going to click with everybody else, but we right. can be kind. Yeah, that's right. We can be. We we can smile. Not everyone's going to. You know, we're all not going to be tight. We're not going bowling with everybody. We're not going to go bowl with them. But God calls us to love everyone. And And be clear, I'm not going bowling with anybody. I can't stand bowling. But (laughs) no offense to those of you who do. You know, so here's the thing. So I don't want to. I don't want to sound dramatic um, or or overstate something. I heard a friend of mine say uh, a couple of years ago an expression that I just have not been able to get out of my my head. And this was the expression he used. He says, "John, you know, we're burning our own house down." Like that's what's happening in the culture around us. We're burning our own house down. We are literally at each other's throats. We're demonizing one another. And the church oftentimes imitates and sounds just like the world. We cannot be like that. And our parishes are supposed to be places where those who are living in that world can walk in and see something profoundly different. And I'll close with this. Kiko Arguello is a... Um, a Spaniard who was the founder of the, the movement called the Neocatechumenate Movement. So he went through a profound conversion. And then he started doing ministry in Spain uh, amongst the slums and amongst uh, gang members and amongst uh, prostitutes. And, and incredible conversions were taking place. 
And as I've heard the story, at, at a certain place or at a certain point, the Cardinal Archbishop called him in and sat him down and says, what in the world are you doing and how are you doing it? Like he's seeing drug lords uh, reconcile with each other, prostitutes and pimps reconcile, gang members reconcile. And Arguello said, I'll never forget this. He says, I have come to believe that people need signs of faith that don't require faith. And the archbishop says, what does that mean? He says, in other words, people who, who don't believe, they need to be able to see things, which even though they don't believe, they even can know only God can enable that to happen. And he went on to say, I think there are two signs of faith that don't require faith, forgiveness and real unity. That's what our marriages are supposed to be. That's what our families are supposed to be. That's what our parishes are supposed to be. And when they are, we will be these cities on a hill and we will be a place where those in the culture will be able to look and know they're not going to hear someone say, told you so, you know, but they're going to say, they're going to hear from us, welcome. Welcome. This is a house of hospitality. Um, we will bandage you. We will walk with you. We will introduce you to the one who has changed our lives because we were once and still can be sometimes like you are right now. And we have a good father. And you're our brother or our sister. You might need to change significantly your lifestyle, but don't worry. There'll be time to talk about that. First, just know this. You're not condemned. The Lord loves you. And you're welcome here even though it might call for some painful purification. That's what real love does, exactly. right? All that is good, all that is true, all that is beautiful. That's what we want them to encounter. Right. So a Merry Christmas to everybody. Wow, this is a long podcast. I didn't realize uh, how, how long we've been going, but um, I pray this is edifying for people. And, and we just want to, again, thank in a special way Father Lee for the inspiration behind uh, what he's doing uh, and for his um, encouragement to his family that he is shepherding to press into the work of healing. And we wish everybody a very Merry Christmas. God is with us. This is amazing news. God is with us. It doesn't just mean he's like in our midst. It means God's on our side. God has come to fight for us. God is love. You know, I, I pictured the other day as I was preparing for Christmas, the father looking to the son this is in my own crazy imagination and just asking, are you sure you want to do this? And he says, yes. And he said, yes, for us. Because somehow we mean all this to God. I don't know why. And because all of this is true, do not be afraid. God is with you. And you were born for this. Mm -hmm.